Hello, this is Ross Sigworth from the Raskeller Club in San Francisco, and you're listening to No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive. <laughs> Hey gang, welcome to episode 132 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. Yes, I'm back home. The kitchen table is a mess. I'm back home because we were at the Immersive Design Summit last weekend. More on that in a minute. But this time, at this very moment, I need to tell you what this show is going to entail. And First, um, my energy may be a little odd because I just recorded all of this and found out it didn't record. So um, you're not getting the original version of this open, which was supercharged and amazing and all happy. And now I'm like, I got to do that again. Oh, I got to do it again. So here we go. We're going to do it again. All right. Earlier this week, I got an email from Zay, our, uh, our New York City curator emeritus, who said, hey, man, um, I did an interview with uh, Caitlin Cassidy and Jeff Kanick of Love Dub Theater Company after seeing a dress rehearsal of The Doubtful Guest and sat down for a 30-minute interview. Sorry for the surprise. Sorry for the surprise. Never apologize for the surprise. Of course, uh, Catherine, our, our current curator in New York, was like, oh, but I have the Yeti. How did he do that? Well, those of you in the film industry probably know exactly, exactly how Zay pulled that one off. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So... The Doubtful Guest uh, opened last night, January 11th. It uh, finishes its run tonight, January 12th. I do not know if there's an extension, so don't ask me. Not right now, anyway. And um, Zay sat down with them. We're going to get that to that in a minute, including a setup on what the, exactly The Doubtful Guest is. But first, we got two points of business to do, starting with the Patreon backers. We did not do the litany in the last show. And that means we've got a lot of people here. Um, so let's just get right down to it. And remember, patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you show some love for everything we do. Um, look, if everyone who read our stories, if everyone on Everything Immersive, um, everyone who listened to the show, pledged $5 a month, that classic $5 a month, um, we, could, we could quit our day job. Um, more than one of us could quit our day job at this point. Um, so, you know, maybe that's the goal for the year is, um, is, is moving full time into this realm. We'll talk some more about that maybe after the break, after the interview, but right now let's talk about the people who jumped in and who are making all of this possible and expanding what we do. Amanda Harris, Alex Sanger, April Arlington. Hi, April. Arthur Tubman jumped in at the $50 level. Lisa Springle upped her pledge from $1 to $5. Thank you so much, Lisa. That is invaluable. Ari Herstand jumped in at the $50 level. Ari, uh, email me. Uh, Sam Kinkin, Kirk Taru, Amber Justman, who does a bunch of work for us. Even, I, mean, I, I always feel weird about that. But thank you, thank you for your tithe to the crazy wizard who lives at the edge of town. Or maybe on an island surrounded by birds. Oh, I left my porg in San Francisco. I gotta go reclaim her. Anyway, um, thank you everyone for backing. And indeed, our sustaining backers 
Ross Sigworth, whose voice you heard at the top of the show, Bradley Smith, who helped us for free with video at the Immersive Design Summit, Yan Budman, who volunteered and who gave us helped us get the venue for the after party for the Design Summit, Lonnie Hansen, who has been our longest sustaining backer other than Ross, and who um and who who came in from Denver to be at the IDS and and brought some wonderful people along with him. Um, also joining this time out are Arthur Tubman and Ari Herstand. I got to figure out what to do about the sustaining backer level because technically we're closed, but um, you guys keep on wanting to give me an absurd amount of money. Um, you know what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say, right? I mean, it's I feel so weird about this. This is why this is always the most awkward part of the show. But I've always worked in public media, so this is just that part of it. It's it's the never-ending pledge drive. Never-ending. Okay, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. No. It's my way of keeping this light because I did record for like 15 minutes and then found out that like, oh, that none of that recorded. Um, all right. One more piece of business before we get to the interview. And this is the one that I'm sad that I'm having to re-record because I feel like I did a really good job in the first round. And that is this. We're going to talk about the IDS, about you know lessons learned a little bit and whatnot after the interview. Right now, I need to thank the host team. Here's the thing you should know about the Immersive Design Summit. We bootstrapped this with the ticket prices. We relied upon the generosity of the San Francisco and Los Angeles communities and Catherine, who came in from New York, to help run this thing. And we ran this thing far more tightly than should have been possible. We were in a venue a lot of us had never worked in before. We were building a sound system uh, to supplement what was already there. We were a crew that hadn't worked together as in aggregate, like bits and pieces had, but as a whole, we had not worked together. And folks from Epic Immersive, the Speakeasy, the Headlands Gamble. (coughs) Yep, I'm still a little sick. The Headlands Gamble and No Persinium came together to form like a, a super group. Right? It's one of those like 70s supergroups. Like everyone comes together. And we ran that thing on time. As a producer, I know how hard it is. And this is this is this is I, I have these insane standards, which is why I don't make a lot of live events because my heart always gets broken. And uh no, we had a hard out and we got out in time. We had a hard out because the speakeasy, our wonderful hosts, they were uh, doing a show that night. This whole thing was insane. And we pulled it off. And not only do we pull it off, but people seem to really like it. Which is why we're going to make sure that everyone within the sound of my voice has a really good shot at getting into the next one. Yeah, there we go on that. But I need to single out some folks who really went above and beyond. Um, first, Michael Garcia, who was our crew chief. Michael, um, without you, this this thing would not have worked. Uh, Michael went above and beyond. Uh, I think I just said above and beyond a second ago, but really, honestly, like we we asked far more of him than than we should have, and he delivered. Um, and just so thankful for you for for being there for us, Anthony Robinson, my old friend, my co-conspirator on No Pro here in Los Angeles. Anthony is a DGA trained assistant director. He does a lot of second AD work. His professional job is talent wrangling, right? Getting people to set. That's what he did for us. He wrangled the speakers. The show would have fallen apart, completely fallen apart, if Anthony wasn't on top of it. He made us a 
you know, call sheet, a real honest God call sheet. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love good paperwork. It's a secret about me. I actually love good paperwork. Um, very rare part of my personality. Anthony, I could not, couldn't, couldn't do any of this stuff without you anymore. Um, and I'm so glad that it's your busy season again, and it's going to be hard not having you around as much, uh, as it was, but I'm back. So, um, I'll pick up the slack, um, that, uh, that'll be there because uh, you won't be able to be around as much. Catherine, our ubiquitous Catherine, um, who makes no pro social go round and is the beating heart of the newswire. Um, she came on to do our social media. We, we, we hadn't even picked out our social media handle yet. We, got our options on the Tuesday before and she did an amazing job live tweeting it. Amazing job on Instagram. Check out that work at design immersive. Those are the handles on both of those. And you'll, you'll get to glean some of the wisdom that was at the summit. And we do have some videos, um, that, that's going to probably take us like, you know, a few weeks to get up and running. All right. So just, just know those are coming too. there'll be a way for people to access those. Um, I need to thank, Max and Jacob of Epic Immersive, Steve Boyle's crew, uh, for jumping into this sound puzzle that we had and executing it. Uh, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get what we needed in the space and get it rocking and rolling, and you guys did it. And I am will be eternally grateful to you for that. I need to thank the Speakeasy's amazing crew uh, for for taking this 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 square peg and putting into a round hole. We would not have done it. We would not have done it without you guys. And then you turned around and did a show that night, which is just absolutely absurd. I need to thank my dear friend, Kim Flynn, who took the thankless job of running the food bev team, uh, a, a job that I was ashamed to ask her to run. Um, and, but I knew that no one would do it better. And I also knew that she'd give me tons of notes if someone else ran it and did it wrong. So, um, <laughs> there you go on that one. Um, Thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for taking on that job. I, I, I know exactly what that cost us. Um, all right. Oh, I can't, you know, and, and while I'm at it, I need to thank Gabe and Steve for bringing me on board and letting me be a part of this insane thing. And I can't wait to see what we come up with next. Speaking of next, we've got an interview for you guys, and then I'm going to do a little more renting, and then I'm going to get out of here because uh, got to got to go to work real soon. Um, the doubtful guest. What is the doubtful guest? It's a show. It's in New York. It's happening right now. For two nights, this is kind of a very in the moment thing for us. Here's what we have on No Persinium for the doubtful guest. An intimate audience gathers for cocktails, a curtain parts. Guests are invited into a shifting world of immersive theater in which sleight-of-hand magic, movement, and storytelling move the audience closer to the performers, to one another, and to the other side. The performance draws inspiration from sources including the tradition of American spiritualism, the performers' personal histories, and the question, what does it mean to be a host? Zay Amsbury interviews Caitlin Cassidy and Jeff Kanick of Lub Dub Theater Company. Love saying Lub Dub. About the doubtful guest, and it's happening right after this little music sting. Hello, this is Zay Amsbury. I know you thought I was leaving, um, <laughs> but I'm not quite gone yet. And We're so glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there are two more shows that I get to, that I'm getting to see, and the first one is The Doubtful Guest by 
Love Dub. Love Dub Theater Company? Love Dub? Love Dub yeah. Theater Company. Love Dub Theater Company. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be um, at uh, uh, one of the final dresses with sort of a test audience, um, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do. Um, so I'm sitting here with... Jeff Kanick. And... Caitlin Cassidy. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so can you tell me a little bit about um, how Love Dub came to be? Yeah. So Kate and I both uh, studied theater in London. Um, she's originally from Boston and mm -hmm. I'm from Seattle. Um, and one of the things when we came back uh, is that we were looking for physical theater here in the United States. Um, and there's a lot of beautiful companies that incorporate dance and movement. Um, and we had really fallen in love with uh, a lot of the work that we saw um, in London and traveling through there. Um, and that was before I was living in New York. So you do get companies that travel through and, and, and wonderful companies here as well. Um, but that was something that was so new to me that I just was looking for a community. And instead of uh, finding one, <laughs> I think we actually joined together and we decided we're going to create one. Um, and, and really take in a lot of the, the beauty of being able to, um, being able to, to create this hybrid that is uh, dance and like straight play acting, storytelling that uses movement even more so than text, but can also be used with text. Yeah, I think also it's probably important to say that Love Dub is kind of a community born out of multiple communities actually. So it was, it was um, Jeff was in Queen of the Night for a number of years as um, were Maite and Clinton and they sort of fell in love with each other and I kind of um, peripherally fell in love with them. <laughs> and when the show ended really abruptly, it was like, oh God, yeah. what do we do now? How can we um, continue to be together every day? And I called a couple of my friends from my undergraduate program at Georgetown who were working, um, a playwright and a dramaturg who were working in um, Baltimore and Boston at the time and said, how can we get you guys in a space with some of the Queen of the Night folks and a few other folks that we knew? Um, and then we all kind of fell in love with each other and didn't want to wow. part in that. Should, should we, should we and then we incorporated. Love Dub. Love Well, and I think that one of the things Kate was saying there uh, was a big piece of that too, which was we just started getting in the room together yeah. and started um, playing. We started sharing yeah. a lot of different um, influences that we all had brought from many different areas and then put that all in a blender, sh shook it around. Yeah, before um, we even knew what before we were Before we even doing. knew. Um, yeah. And... I think what we're really um, kind of uh, strengthening now is all of the language that we have created mm -hmm. um, and that common language so that we can work together as a company um, to create these very uh, interdisciplinary, um, <laughs> weird and um, yeah. exciting um, types of theater. Yeah, I mean, I saw, <clears throat> pardon me, I saw uh, an earlier incarnation or iteration of of the doubtful guest, yes, um, which is the rehearsal that uh, that I just saw, um, and I feel like like this version, even more than that version, seems to be drawing from a lot of different places. W was there as much dance in in that no, version? No, okay. no, no. There was virtually none. There was some sort of um, like gestural work, mm -hmm. but that was it. Because the 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 because what, what I just saw, it incorporates um, dance. Um, uh, sort of classic um, uh, performer audience interaction, almost like in a, almost like in a street performer kind of way. Sure. <laughs> um, sleight of hand, um, and and the frame or the sort of um, central 
metaphor and um, performance spine is of a seance. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Where did the, so I get, I get the movement stuff. Yeah. Um, How did the magic stuff come in? So uh, even to, to kind of frame that back, it's, the way that you saw was even in not even the beginning journey of the doubtful ah. guest. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first staging we did of the doubtful guest was only for seven people yeah. in our apartment. Nice. It started yeah. with people um, getting this anonymous uh, text <laughs> like uh, invitation oh, I love that it. led them to an address. They had and no idea what. No they idea, were and it was just a collection of initials in the lobby that uh-huh. they would open um, a key to our mailbox. Yeah listen to a message and bring them upstairs. Um, and it was all about this, like, uh, we would feed them hosting magic mm-hmm. and, um, and sitting and being in a room together. Yeah. Um, which I think is still the heartbeat of the whole show. It's how can we just be together? Yeah. I mean, a seance translates from French to sit. Mm. Um, and especially in a very technological world, going back to a, a very simple without cell phones, um, almost kind of a analog, um, version of that. Um, where you saw the, uh, we, so we did that version, we did it again and added some other twists and turns. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, took it outside and, uh, put it into, um, a gallery in Brooklyn where you saw that, mm-hmm. which was a, a big frame of that was all about letter writing yep. and sending yeah. messages to previous audiences, mm-hmm. um, and to conjure the, the audience, mm-hmm. uh, that was previously in that space. Um, so we've always looked at what are different ways that we can interact and I think magic has been a love of mine since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you speak about street performing too, which I've done street <laughs> performing and yeah. juggling all of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, I've always loved that magic has the ability to astonish people and to bring more mystery into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of like this fact checking world and this like there's one right way, one wrong way, adding a mysterious way and, and entering that in people's vocabulary or yeah. their emotional vocabulary is um, really powerful. So we have always um, looked, how can we use magic not as a, um, here's a trick, but how can we use it to forward storytelling? Yeah, that, <clears throat> that was definitely like a sense I got tonight that it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel, um, it didn't feel like I was experiencing this thing that was, that was a whole, that was a whole piece. And then it stopped for the trick, mm-hmm. and then I went back to the piece. And then it stopped for the trick. Mm. Um, the um, every element felt very necessary, um, and I also I also really appreciated how um, how the show has a sense of humor about itself. Yeah, and like certainly by the time at least at least for me even in this environment, and, and I should say that the rehearsal that um, that that just happened happened in um, arts on site. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a wonderful um, and very well-priced uh, rehearsal space yes. <laughs> uh, in New York City run by Adrian Rosas and a couple other people. Yes. Um, and so we're in what's basically a dance studio. There's like, um, we're, we're in there right now. There, Some character. Uh, there are brick, yeah, there are brick walls. <laughs> there are uh, ballet bars. There's a giant mirror. Run for, and a big mirror. Yes. And I kept wanting to be like looking in the mirror and like, like catching the magic trick in the mirror. But... Um, <laughs> Um, and everyone, and there was no, there were no costumes, there were no props, and there's a, there's a really important moment that happens at the end, and the prop that would bring that moment together also wasn't there. Um, and yet there was, and also the people were coming, you know, because of the dress rehearsal, but there was still like a sense, there was still, 
there was still a, a, a feeling in the room, yeah. um, which I thought was pretty uh, deliberately created and still worked in that environment. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, one thing that I, that I also really um, appreciated um, in the last iteration of the Doubtful Guest, it was all about connecting with the previous audience. There was a, it created this fun, not just fun, but intimate sense of community um, with the audience and also you as a, as a, as a continuum of audiences who see the piece. Mm. And then you did this thing that also happened tonight where you have the audience members chat with each other. Yeah. Um, and I won't give away the progression of that because what happens at the end is quite intense. Um, well, how, how did that come into play? That sort of giving the audience to each other. There, I, yeah. After you. Yeah. I think, um, so the, the reason we were so interested in seance in the first place is because it translates to sit and it also translates to meet or mm. meeting. Mm -hmm. And for us, um, obviously within this piece, but sort of like, you know, in our lives in theater in general, we're, we're always wanting to talk to the people next to us. And I've had so many extraordinary moments in proscenium shows when I've chosen to turn to the person next to me mm -hmm. and have a conversation and it's shifted my life's course, like for real. And I think we entered this process thinking about seance and meetings and encounters and really, really wanting to turn the audience in on itself in a way that doesn't happen often. You, mm -hmm. you don't, even in immersive productions, it feels like sometimes you're um, kind of like flocking with an audience, but not necessarily in dialogue with. Mm -hmm. um, well, and, and there are certain cases where, where the structure of the event itself works to isolate you. I mean, yes. I mean, obviously yes, yes, in Sleep yes, No More a one on the one, masks, uh, right, right, yeah, right, right, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. It's a one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. Um, and, and even in something as, um, with as much of its heart on its sleeve as then she fell, it still really feels like yeah. a solo experience. You end it mm. by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in this piece, I really felt like everybody else who, who was there. It reminded me of, um, there's a piece that Michael Tara Garber did, whose name I am completely going to mess up, so I won't even try. <laughs> Um, but the audience was cast in the role of um, part of a, a therapy group of mm. parents who, whose kids had been in a, um, a school shooting. And Ooh. clearly a very different tone than, yeah. this, than this show. But because your role was so clear, yeah. when one of the performers would sit down next to you and have this monologue about something and then just sort of look at you and then look back, and then sort of look at the audience member next to you, then that created this connection between everybody who was there. Um, and I've been to very few immersive pieces that really work to build connections between the audience. Yeah. And I think particularly at the end when the seance really comes into play and we're all holding each other's hand, like we're ready for it. Like yeah. we're really ready to hold each other's hand and be mm. there for that moment. Yeah. And I think that's something too is that we went into this show thinking how can we create a show that requires an audience to happen, mm -hmm. that literally could not happen without yeah. the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the, the first staging in our apartment, we because um, there was only seven people, we could invite these, all these different strangers. And our goal was always at the end of the night to have them feel like a little community. Yeah. And one of our favorite stories was um, at the end of the night, we'd send them back down into, and they'd receive a message in, in the mailbox. And, um, and our favorite was that we heard not once, but a few times, they all just went for drinks together. Uh, and it was like after the show, they all just stayed in that pot and they continued the show long after we had anything to do with it. That's great. Um, and I think that was something that became really powerful for us. And, and, and like Kate was saying, you know, sitting in a show and having this emotional experience 
and feeling like I didn't know the name of the person next to me. It's, it was a little bizarre. So mm -hmm. being able to make sure that people do feel like they can say hi, they can chat, or they can pick up where they left off in parts of the show yeah. is always important. That's great. So, um, so where is, so Doubtful Guest is going to be happening, what, what's the venue that it's happening in? So, it's, uh, it's great, it's, um, so Ian Schrager who did Studio 64, 54, mm -hmm. and then built the Standard Hotel, has just opened this new hotel called um, the Public Hotel, which is downtown on Christie Street. Mm -hmm. And when he built it, he put um, a, a hyper-convertible, essentially black box theater with a bar above it and a bar attached to it nice. into the hotel and he said I want this to be the young person's BAM go and then they started programming it about a month ago mostly um, uh, musicians um, okay. concerts some movie uh, premieres and showings some other great magicians some other great magicians that's <laughs> right Benita Ponto is down there um, but then uh, they turned around and they said to each other oh god we should get some theater folks in here um, so it's in this space, and we're the first theater company in there, and That's we're fantastic. super excited about it. It's That's beautiful. Fantastic. It's yeah. a beautiful space. And the exciting thing about the space, too, is because it's so convertible, they said, what can you do with this? How yeah. can you use it differently than it's been used before? Yeah. Um, and so that's another one of our goals too, is how to have people moving through this and feel like the space is changing um, yeah. throughout the evening. So, um, and feel free if you want to uh, talk around this or come at it in an indirect way, but one of the conversations that often happens with um, specifically immersive theater companies, because usually, or interactive theater companies, or site-specific theater companies, because the audiences are usually really small, mm -hmm. yep. and they often require either large or strange venues. Yes. So hmm. the, the the financial issues that these groups come up with are different than traditional theater companies. And we'll, we'll have their own set of issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and some people have solved it in in different super super creative ways. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious how like what your approach is to financing and how you've sort of solved these issues in New York City. Yeah. Well, I think I, we're learning, and I would like to say that I think transparency around this is so important. Yeah. Because awesome. nobody talks about it, <laughs> or we don't often talk about it. Yeah. And I think we could all do a little bit more to sort of like use one another to figure to figure it out because yeah. it is definitely a challenge i mean so. i think the obvious first answer is the first version of this we staged in our own home yep which is <laughs> <Yep>. also <laughs> of the piece yeah. i mean it is about inviting strangers into your home into a living room space yeah. um so i mean there's there's one example other examples we're thinking what um how can we do this in not a theater? How can we do this yeah. non-traditionally? I mean, we or an performed used space like in like um, there are some really beautiful spaces on the Upper West Side that are not functioning. They're not. They're safe and obviously, but they're not being um, used. Yeah. So to go into those spaces. And another very different show that we did was done entirely through the mail. It was these different <laughs> mail, like we would curate these letters and we essentially performed a play in 13 different states in the Virgin Islands simultaneously over the course of two months um, where we were able to have uh, uh, press cuttings and little gifts and, and kind of rituals that people could do in their own home. Um, so I think that looking at how can we, A, go directly to people into their home, bring them into our homes, or just look at what are underused spaces. Um, I think I, yeah, I could probably go for hours about this. Cocktails help, of course. I mean, it's it's a little extra tricky for us because we realized pretty early on that we did we were not interested in building a show that was over 
really $35 a mm -hmm. pop. It just doesn't feel like it's within the spirit of the piece. It's not a $100 show. You want, yeah. you, it wants to be accessible, and I think that's important to us as a company as well. Um, so the cocktails help. Um, I think, oh, I had another thought, and that's now just gone for me. Well, one of the other pieces, to too, is looking <laughs> at how can we either do shows in a theatrical venue non-theatrically or how can we go into non-theatrical venues yes and, and in off hours too off hours yes. and honor those spaces and let those spaces help be part of our story so that we don't have a story that's so narrow it has to be in a giant specifically gridded out area how can we also kind of adapt and play in the way that we do with our audience members they kind of get to come in and join the show that's not they're not, it's not a very strict, strict rule that they have to, to follow. How can we let all those things honor and kind of conjure the magic of that moment, that night? Because ideally, run? this is a pop up piece. Everything we need comes out of the trunk, which mm -hmm. is sizable. Mm -hmm. And then we use whatever is on site. And so we'll move and be mobile, which has also been a sort of exciting challenge for us is like, how do you take an immersive piece that wants size and scale and mm. actually make it travelable. And we were able to do, again, another preview of this. We developed part of this at the Orchard Project in Saratoga yes, Springs. Yeah. And we were able to perform this in this 100-year-old ballroom attached to this Ooh. hotel, yeah. which then just added a whole nother level of, yeah. of, yeah. Um, of set and atmosphere and energy um, with it as well. So being able to allow the different spaces we can plug into help to speak uh, to the piece, I think was a really, really exciting for the doubtful guests that required space. Yeah. Um, and we fundraised. We did yeah. that as well. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so uh, I have one more question about the show. And you can, again, you can go into this as much or as little as you want. But there's, a, mm -hmm. there's, there's another idea in the piece that I, it's one of those ideas that's so elegant because it seems so obvious once you encounter it. And the way we're led up to it is really lovely, which almost makes me not want to say it. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say it, but I will say ah. that um, um, there, there's a way you approach the idea of a seance that becomes so incredibly personal mm -hmm. to the audience and also to um, uh, the characters that we're encountering. Um, although it certainly feels like the stories that are told are true stories. Um, and it, 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 in the same way that we, as an audience connected with each other, um, the memories and the way that memories haunt you and memories can be a kind of calling, um, also, um, layered the idea of a seance, even if you are not someone who's given over to, to embracing the, 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 right, right, the, 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 the spiritual world, because we all have, we all have family members and loved ones that we've that we've lost. Um, was that an idea, was touching on that, uh, was embracing the idea of seans with those ideas and feelings and memories, um, was that part of the DNA of the show from the beginning that it developed through the rehearsal process and development process? I think it emerged. Yeah. I think we probably intuitively knew it was there, but it um, made itself known later than... Ooh. Um, <laughs> That's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like that, you know, you have those moments in rehearsal and you're like, oh, that's what we're doing. Yes, right, absolutely. Right. Um, absolutely. 
And yeah, I think it's wrapped up in a lot of questions for us about like, you know, what the heck were these turn of the century seances really about? And what were these mediums actually serving? I mean, there are extraordinary stories about mediums being women who were actually using spirits to legitimize political agenda. Mm. There are stories about, you know, mediums who truly felt that they were serving um, uh, the people in the room who were desperately in need to know that someone was okay. Or, um, and then there were people who totally knew they were frauds and having a great old time. And seances have been compared to vaudeville, which I love. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think that idea that a seance might actually be about something that is personal and possibly not spoken or um, uh, individual to each person um, and, and universal mm-hmm. kind of emerged. Yeah. And I, I think just also the power of storytelling. Um, yeah. And I mean, as, as much as I think of kind of those beautiful, weird evenings at the end of the night when you end up with a small group of people and you end up sitting around and telling stories. Yeah. Um, those have always, I think, conjured a lot of magic for me. And I think that in the same way Kate was saying that, um, I think the energy or the, the, the kind of the, the spirit of the evening um, made itself known in that way. It's also like, for me, it's like a very, I've been thinking a lot about how on a sort of like meta level it's kind of about making theater in a way for me you know it's like that isn't that what so many of us do we show up to sort of remember something or someone or to animate something and bring something into Mm -hmm. the space that wasn't there before and i think the theater is filled with ghosts and um it felt like something we could really hold on to in a honest not exploitative way yeah yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, if um, if you are in New York City, I strongly recommend that you see this show. Um, uh, and where where can people go online and get more information? Ticket Fly. You can search um, the Doubtful Guest. You could also search Lub Dub L U B D U B Theater with an R E Company, and it should pop up. Theater with an R E. Yes. Um, oh, wait. Or you can go to thedoubtfulguest.us. Great. Um, and we also and we, we also have all of that linked on No Perceams. You can just go there, find all of that stuff. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to. Thank you this for giving us your you. evening. Yes. You're welcome. All right. So this is uh, Zay and Jeff, Kate. and saying goodbye from frigid New York City. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Once again, want to thank Zay for jumping back into the fray, and to Caitlin Cassidy and Jeff Kanick of Love Dub Theater Company, um, and indeed. Uh, we will have the links in the show notes so you can connect with them and uh, see if you get another chance to catch the doubtful guest. Um, all right. My part of the show. Um, ooh. Wow, there's there's so much going on. Um, before I talk about IDS, uh, I want to make a quick pitch to you, not about Patreon, but indeed about our first Leia, that's the League of... Ex- Experiential and immersive artists. The first Leia town hall, public town hall. This is not a brain trust meeting held in secret. Uh, this is open to any and all at Thymily. I probably butchered that. Sorry, John. Uh, Arts in East Hollywood. I think that's what we're calling it right now. Probably gonna probably a new neighborhood name for it, like in like five 
five weeks or something. Um, the links to that are also going to be in the show notes. It is on January 29th, Monday, January 29th, the State of the Immersive Union for Los Angeles, 8 p.m. Thymeli. I'm going to say it 15 different ways. People are always going to be, you always say it wrong. And I'll be like, yes, that's that's my quirky character. I always say it wrong. That's that's who I play on television. Um, for those of you who don't know what Leia is, uh, and, I, and I realize I preach to the choir way too much, um, a number of the theater creators... Uh, in here in town uh, and other immersive artists we're we're banding together to create a nonprofit entity to to advance the immersive and experiential arts all right uh, we're getting organized uh, in the same form as like the academy is organized right that's going to be the structure we use and right now we've got a number of committees who are working on things like outreach permitting safety and practices uh, and then there's an events committee we have that's also going to be working on education. Um, we're advancing the form. We're we're fighting the political fights that need to be fought. We're making it safe to do this kind of work um, in in a in a world that doesn't quite understand what this work is. Uh, this is an outgrowth of the work we've done here at No Persinium, um, and of the the sort of little meetings that I was putting together of the immersive creators. And now we're evolved into a public entity. We invite any and everyone who's interested in the form, whether you're a theater practitioner, a VR maker, or just a fan who wants to lend their voice to helping to come to the town hall. We need your support and we want to explain to you in depth, in detail, what it is we're up to and we want to get a dialogue going. So there, there will be almost certainly some QA portion. That's what a town hall is. So a little presentation from us, some QA, and then we'll we'll break up and mix and mingle. And thank you so much, John, uh, who runs the space for for making it our home uh, in so many ways. And uh, there'll be links there. And it's a great rehearsal space. Plenty of people use it. So just remember that if you're looking for a rehearsal space for an event space in East Hollywood, it's like uh, Santa Monica and Western. It's right in, in the heart of things, right around the corner from from some some really great stuff. Uh, let us uh, check it out. Check it out. I don't write these things. You know I don't write these things, right? Uh, it's obvious in the sound of my voice. Let's talk ideas for a moment. Uh, first off, I was sick. Uh, so uh, if I if I didn't come say hi and shake your hand, uh, the words are, you're welcome. No, uh, <laughs> I just didn't want to get you sick is a lot of it. Um, and I spent a lot of the time uh, kind of, you know, we, we had duties. Um, and I'm a very, very hands-on, uh, producer. So we were, we were building things and running the clock and making sure everything ran on time and come time for the after party, uh, where there were so many of you and I wanted to talk to so many and I was so dead on my feet. I just, I, I literally laid down at one point and someone come along to talk to me and I'm glad they did because I didn't actually want to pass out. But at the same time I was like, I just need to sleep. So, um, it's funny because you spend nine months of your life and you put together a room like that and you're like, oh my goodness, like I want to talk to all these people. And then you get there and you're like, I need to go to sleep like right now, like to hell with all this. Um, it's sleepy time. Um, you know, within a couple of days, you know, I could finally appreciate the scale of what we did. Um, and, and I could also, ironically enough, feel the, the the sense of not being able to go to it, right? So if you're out there and you're like, oh, I really want to go. Why, why didn't you let me go? Hey, um, 
I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I didn't get to go to this thing because uh, <laughs> I was too busy making it happen. Uh, and then too busy, like trying not to like, you know, spread spores onto everyone um, while I was there. If you're an attendee and um, you're going to swing through Los Angeles, please hit us up. Uh, we'd love to, we'd love to talk to you in person. Um, and, and just, you know, here's the thing, right? Let's get down to the philosophy of it. So when, uh, Gabe and Steve reached out less than a year ago and said, Hey, we're thinking of doing this thing. Um, and then I barreled forward with like, you know, all, all the stuff that I had been thinking about in the past. And, and we all realized that we had, we'd all been giving this some thought for some time independently of each other. I knew that one of the things, one of the, the magical goals, if you will, of this was to take this, this sense that these different disciplines, theater, games, virtual reality, that when they're dealing with what our, our dear friend Sarah Thatcher calls embodied experiences, and that's what she led her keynote off with, that that we're really all working on the same, we're working the same medium, different tools, but the same medium because of the engagement, because of the physical engagement of the audience to the material. So it doesn't matter if it's the void, which I'm so eager to go to t- tomorrow. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a punch drunk show or if it's the speakeasy in San Francisco or it's a speakeasy society show in LA or a capital W performance or a you know, super involved game or a LARP like they run out in, in Europe. These things are not all immersive theater, right? So I'm not going to say, Oh, like LARPs are, are where immersive theater is going. No LARPs are LARPs. They've been around. They're part of immersive, Right. I'm not going to say that immersive theater is where VR is going, but they're interrelated. This was about a paradigm shift so that we could start seeing not just theoretically, but feeling as a community, looking each other in the eye, which is why I'm so sad I couldn't look people in the eye because of how sick I was looking people in the eye. And seeing that light of acknowledgement and knowing that even though we come from different disciplines and different traditions, that we are all dealing with the same kind of practical magic. That, for me, is what the goal of the Immersive Design Summit was. And I suspect, I suspect, for the people who were there, that is what they got to feel. I'm not saying they didn't know it before, but there's something about feeling it. And in immersive, that's the key. It's not just about reading something and acknowledging. It's not just about pushing some buttons on a controller. It's not just about sitting down and watching someone else have that feeling and having the mirror neurons fire off. It's about being in that moment. And for me to hear people Disparate people use the same type of evocative language that I think in, not because it was transmitted to them somehow, but because they came up with it of their own volition was so validating. 
NoPro is four years old now. It's a senior in high school. It's ready for kindergarten, depending on your point of view. I know we're just getting started. At this part of the race, it's easy to just be like, oh man, this thing. And walk away. But last weekend, I saw that we're just starting. We're just starting to wake up. We're just starting to realize what we've got on our hands and that it's far bigger than any of us. It's far bigger than one show, than one project, than one industry. Something more. From Sarah to Vince of Meow Wolf, from Diana Williams of Lucasfilm and Curtis Sickman of The Void, over to Laura Hall, Jeff and Jarrett, Lauren Ludwig, all these people from all these places. We see this emerging, and I can't wait to see what happens next. On that note, there is a bunch of work coming to Los Angeles and New York. Um, it's, 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 frankly, it's got us caught off guard. Um, there's going to be newsletters this weekend, so you know, crack them open, check them out. Um, like I said, bunch of work from some really great people, and uh, the cycle's already beginning. There's, there's no rest for the wicked. This is a real thing now. You made that possible. You made it happen. Let's get down to it. All right. The credits for the show. As always, the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers for No Persinium are a lot more people than they used to be. So let me look at the list again. Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, Yan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, and joining them are Arthur Tubman and Ari Herstand. Thank you all for being the backbone of this thing and making it possible. And for everyone who drops in, let me tell you, that, that, that $5 that you give, the $1 you give, the $5, the whatever you give at patreon.com slash no proscenium, it means the world to us and makes it possible, hopefully this year, for us to go full time. That's the goal. The goal for 2018 is by, you know, for, for me to flip this around and by the end of the year for me to be consulting with my day job and that I have now keeping them, you know, keep keeping giving them access because they're important to me too. Like I've been with that I've been with that organization for 25 years. Like, you know, they'll, they'll always have my ear. But I want to focus my attentions on you and that a large part of that happens if we can get this Patreon up up up. Um and just think of how terrifying it'll be. If this is me, if this is me like part-time, what happens when I'm full-time? Oh god. Um, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, let's make that happen more on how we're restructuring that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, while I talk to everybody on staff, uh, Jessica, um, who I haven't mentioned yet cause Jessica was there at the IDS express. It was awesome to get to meet you in person. We actually all get to have dinner together. The, the, the editorial board. It was cool. We like each other. Oh my God. We actually like hanging out together. I mean, I knew we would, but like, you know, it's, it, that's the thing, right? You know, you know how like you meet your online friends and, and you find out you actually like them and you're like, holy crap, that's not supposed to happen. That was that whole weekend. And I look forward to meeting you too. All right. Where was I? I was everywhere. I was nowhere at all. I was a voice in the darkness. 
I was having a dream and I woke up and the dream was real. And that dream was you. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>